looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And so the message today is called God's Truth on Money. The good news is I only have to do this one Sunday so that I won't pick you, uh, prick you too hard with all these truths, especially if you're sensitive on this topic of money. And the unfortunate side of it is God wants us to understand about economics so much in Scripture that I could spend literally months on this topic because there are so many verses that speak to it. So as I went to the Lord, I said, Lord, I need your help right now. I would like to speak on something that would help our people immediately in such fashion that the parents can easily teach this now to their children so they can be sound in some of their own financial issues. Now, those of you who are our guests here, you don't know me, so there's no reason yet for you to trust me. So I would like to just say this. This message is not born on the fact that our people are not giving and we're having some financial problems. All of our bills are not only current, we have money in the bank to do what God wants us to do. We have wonderful people that are watching our finances and spending it to get the biggest bang for the buck that we possibly can. So the purpose here isn't to raise money for some cause or to make sure that we stay afloat. It's all about so that you would be in a right relationship with God in all areas of your life. And today we're talking about that pocketbook part of your life regarding finances. You know, the Lord wants us to be financially free, but sometimes he allows us to live in a prison of our own making because of the choices that we make. I'd like to uh, come up for air a little bit and be a little humorous with you for a moment. You know, the Dave Letterman show has the top 10 this or the top 10 that. It comes on much too late for me, and if it didn't, I still probably wouldn't watch it, but I do know about those top 10 lists. So I'd like to give you a top 10 list from Brian Mavis here on the top 10 signs that you're going broke. Would you like to hear what they are? Here they are. Number 10, American Express calls and says, please, leave home without it. You know you're broke. Number nine, you're formulating a plan to rob the church food pantry. You're broke. You know you're broke when the long-distance companies don't call you to switch to their, their company. You know you're broke when you rob Peter and then you rob Paul. Number six, when you clean your house for the purpose of finding change. Or you check your couch after you have visitors at your house. Number five, you think of a lottery ticket as an, invent, as an investment. Number four, your baloney has no first name. Number three, a communion. You go back for seconds. <clears throat> you know you're broke when you can't even pay attention. And I don't know how true this is, but they say, number one, you can tell you're broke when McDonald's becomes your source for all your condiments. <clears throat> I hope you're laughing because this is kind of a truth you heard about other people, but not where you are. But I do know that we do live in a real world and we do suffer from issues from time to time. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up. I'm going to spend a few moments here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then I'd like to go through a walkthrough of the book of Proverbs for the most part. And we might not cover all the verses that I have on your sheet there in front of you. I did print them out for you. They will be mostly on the screen, but it is something for you to go through. And if you have a good Bible, and I hope you have a good Bible at your house, they will have usually cross-references to these verses. Open them up, chase those cross-references all throughout Scripture so that you can have a good composite view of what God's truth is on money. So let's just begin looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7, whatever version you might have. I like the one we're going to read through now. It goes like this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. 
Job said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked will I return thither. And we all know that we have not seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. We know that whatever we do, we cannot take it with us. But those that are Christians that use their money wisely, God says that you are earning good deeds, uh, rewards for your good deeds. And therefore, you are sending it on ahead with the rewards he will give you by the wise choice of what you do. And so we need to learn the issue of contentment. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Continue on, if you will, in verse 8. And it says this, having food and clothing and with these we shall be content. If it's your Bible, you might want to circle the two words, food and clothing. A lot could be said about that. But I think the important thing, it says, with these, we should be content. And my question are, are you content with those two, or do you need more in order for you to be content? This implies that we should at least be content with this. If it was written in the context of the time, it would say we should be certainly content with food and clothing, not necessarily a donkey or a chariot or a house. We should be content with the basic needs of life. And anything beyond that, we rejoice it as God's grace, but it's not necessary to continue functioning with that. So are you satisfied with those two things? One commentator went as far to say that that word clothing means covering, and it could mean some form of a house for you. Let's go a little bit further in verse 9. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation first, and then a snare, and then from a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which draw men into destruction and perdition. So if you want to, you can draw lines connecting all of that. It starts with temptation, and it ends with perdition, destruction, and pain, eternal condemnation. Now, what is very clear in this passage, those of you, you that are new, let me clarify something. It is not sinful to be rich. This passage is not speaking against those people that have money. It is okay to have money. This passage is talking about those who desire or ambitious or who thirst and lust after more than what God wants you to have. Ambition to do well, to use your money well, to have a good job, to do well in your job, to be properly promoted or to even have more sales if you're in that. That's all acceptable. In fact, that's part of the good work ethic we'll talk about. But if you're doing it because you don't have enough, you want more, 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 gimme, 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 that's where we have the real problems and that's where the real destruction comes into our life. So it's the desire to be rich, not the desire to have the basic needs of life met. Continuing in verse 10, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some, thankfully only some, have strayed from the faith in their greediness. It's interesting how that these things are just, in a sense, amoral. We then put a morality on them. And once we begin to do that, it draws us away from the very thing that's to be used to bring us closer to the Lord. It causes us then to draw away from the faith. But it's more than that. It also causes us to be pierced through with many sorrows. The Greek word for that word, pierced, is an unusual word because you have one word that means stab, where you just kind of stick the knife in once. This is a word that means stab and then twist it. So those that are desiring because of greed to go after more than what God wants them for their own lust, for their own purposes, what that happens then is they are drawn away from the faith, generally through miniature distractions that begin, becomes a snowball that eventually brings it to a point where there's tremendous amount of pain. I only wish we had the time for me to be able to read to you the testimonies and emails through the course of my ministry of people who have violated this passage. Now, I know this is a real down message, and you won't hear this on a lot of other churches on the island, but I also have to tell you the consequences of wrong choices as much as I would rather preach on the grace of the benefits of doing the right thing. And this is all part of it right here and how we really need to be very, very careful about this. And I have to tell you that often it's, we get into debt, and it becomes a tremendous debt trap. 
those of you that are in debt to the point that it's hard for you to function, it's hard for you to do something, it's hard for you to provide for some of the basic needs of your life, or even to maybe be generous to a friend who has a need, it can be very, very painful. I'm reminded of a song. How many of you remember this song? And you'll be thankful that I won't sing it, but it goes like this. Load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. See, you know that song, don't you? That's a song that's uh, not theologically accurate, but in a sense there's an attitude. I'm not ready to go on to the next level because I'm in so much debt right now, I can't get out of it. Well, I'm here to tell you that you can get out of debt. I have seen people that have been so horribly drowning in debt because of wrong choices, but have come to a point in their life to say, I know the only person that can make my life right again in this area has got to be the Lord. And they got into the Bible. They began to go through Scripture. They had a good biblical guide to help them along, to sort through their finances. But they made the tough choices so they can get the beautiful results. And now they're not only debt-free, but they have all that they need and more so so they can continue building the kingdom of God. This book does have the solutions. So I want you to maybe listen to this message, carefully go through these words of Scripture, sense what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, and know that there really is light at the end of your debt tunnel, and it is not necessarily the headlights of an oncoming train, that God does want to let you out of this. There is joy and purpose. Now, for some of you that you're saying, I don't have a problem with debt, you mean there's really a debt problem in America? When I was preparing this message, I decided to do some deeper research, and I came out with these statistics. And these statistics are not even a year old yet. Let me read to you how horribly people are in debt. Now, before I do that, I want you to know that I love you very, very much. And those of you that are coming more out of debt, for you, it's not beat up from the pulpit on you. It's for me to come alongside you and say, I'll be one of your greatest cheerleaders. Keep going. Keep doing it. Trust the Lord. It's going to get better. But I'm also to come alongside of you because I really believe my role is to equip you to help another group of people that I'll never speak to. And so I hope that maybe through this message, you'll use this to come alongside and mentor them. Well, here are the statistics that I received. And if you need all the documentation, you can see me later. The average credit card debt per household, just United States, is $14,750. $610 million in credit cards are held by U.S. consumers alone. The average number of credit cards per household is 3.5. Open up your wallet, open up your purse, and see how many credit cards you have snapped into that. 3.5, they say, per household. The average APR on a new credit card offer is 14.73%. That's huge. The total U.S. revolving debt is $796.5 billion. These statistics are not even six months old. The total U.S. consumer debt is $2.40 trillion. We are drowning in debt here in America, and uh, I haven't even... I don't desire right now to speak about the political arena and what the country is doing in our own debt as a country besides personal debt that we have, all in violation of Scripture. And we will reap what we sow individually, family, corporately, church, and as a nation. So statistically, again, $14,750 worth of credit card debt. Now, let me say this. This is above 
auto loans and mortgages. That's just credit card debt. The problem is not a lack of money. The problem isn't the amount of your income. The problem is really a lack of control with our desires. And it really spins away from this passage. It's also a lack of control of contentment with what we have. So we have to keep feeding this machine. Our wanter is writing checks that our supplier can't even cash. Probably what it is is not that we need more money or even for some a better job or to work longer hours necessarily. The real issue is to control these desires. One person said this, save then buy, save then buy, earn then spend, earn then spend. Too many are spending then earning. You know what I'm saying? When I was pastoring another church, um, for whatever reason in my weakness as a pastor and my mistakes, I permitted or whatever allowed some of the movers and shakers that were young in our church to get into positions of influence and leadership. Not here, not here. And um, because they were, you know, just, you know, firecracker entrepreneurs. But I forgot one thing that they had. They hadn't really yet learned a spirit of contentment and trust and patience. And it was very quick that they would talk us into getting more new, better, this, that. If you build it, they will come. Which then, to do that, it requires borrow, 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 debt, debt, debt. And then something doesn't go right. They then would vote you into debt. And then they would leave the church and then leave the rest here suffering in that debt. Well, it might happen in a church, but I'm certainly sure it can happen in families. And that's why when people come into a position of leadership, they really need to be people that are wise stewards of their own money so that they're very careful in giving wise direction for a faith family. Listen to this quote. Money. I like this one, by the way. It is the most important value in American society apart from character in Christ. It is absolutely essential for existence. It is one thing almost everyone wishes they had more of. It is the subject which causes more family arguments than all others combined. They often tell you that the first marriage will break apart and usually the biggest cancer in that marriage that broke apart is money issues, something that dealt with the economics. Second marriages, it's usually over kids. Solomon said this, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. All of you who are nearing retirement have been watching your retirement going up and down, up and down. And the spikes have been dramatic over the last two years. And we're all watching some of our retirement investments have wings and fly away. And frankly, we don't know what it's going to be like. And if you want to, I can throw in the whole social security system. So... It's almost like playing the game Monopoly and you see that little guy there with the mustache and you see the little dollar bill there and it has wings. How many know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Every time I see that card, I say, yeah, this game really is a Christian game, you know? <laughs> little humor there, all right? Another modern philosopher said this, that money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once, it said goodbye. <laughs> That's probably very true. If you will, now take out that outline because I would like to talk about the right attitudes that we need to have toward money before we go over some of the biblical principles of it. So here are the right attitudes. The first one is that God is the source of all our resources. That in itself is a complete sermon because everything we have, we move and have our being in God, in Christ. Our whole source is that. He is our sufficiency. The word is sufficient. 
all right? So at the very center of everything we have is going to come from the Lord. And so whatever you have, if you have a job, he gave you the ability to get the job. He gave you the power to earn the money. He gave you the strength to stay on the job and the wisdom to be able to navigate all of that. Wherever you are, he is the source of whatever you have. So what it is, you thank God for it. If you have less than what you would like to have or think you should have, the first thing is don't curse God. You might ask yourself, maybe I need a checkup from the neck up. But the source of all of our resources is still God. So the attitude needs to be of gratitude. There needs to be that, that spirit in our heart to say, Lord, I want to thank you that I have a job. Now, some of you that are here in Hawaii, you know that we're paying over $4 a gallon for gas and bread is going up and utilities are going up. Everything is going up on the island. Even parking at the zoo is going up. You know, I mean, just everywhere you go is going up. But be that as it may, I want you to know that as it goes up, God says, I'm still your source and I will take care of you. And so what you might have to take out of this pocket, I'm making sure that it's not going to go out of that other pocket because you do live here. It is a trade-off. I want you here. There are people to be reached here. Don't leave. Help reach these people. And so our attitude is saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're giving to me because you are the source of all my resources. Number two, we are the stewards of God's property. Now, I almost don't like that word steward, but I threw it out for us folks that are older because we've heard that all the time growing up. But the new word would be managers, that God has allowed us the privilege to be a little bit of a CEO or at least a downline manager of his property. So our attitude ought to be faithful, that we realize that what we have to manage here, that we need to do it faithfully. Now, faithfully means we do it faithfully according to Scripture. So we have to learn from the CEO, God, Christ, and his manual of running his property, scripture, and then I go to this book right here and I'm going to be faithful to it, even when it might hurt, because the consequence is even more painful. Number three, our most important investments are heavenly. And so no matter what we're doing here and what we want to keep going here, we have to realize that it doesn't end here, that we do stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account of every deed we've done in our body, not to determine whether or not we go to heaven, but as a Christian for what rewards we have. So our attitude ought to be one of vision. Instead of just the nasty here and now, we do have to look at the sweet by and by and look into the future that this whole thing is about a kingdom-building thing for His glory. Number four, the fourth attitude should be we should trust God to provide for all of our needs. And if you write the word trust there, I want you to circle that because there is a work ethic. You'll hear that in just a moment. But there is also that partnering with the Lord to believe that God is on the throne and He will take care of us. And every need we have to accomplish godliness in our life, He will meet in our life. Any need that we need to have in order to build His kingdom, whatever we're to do, with us, our children, we have the resources. So, what is the attitude? It's the one of faith. And that's often the place that we waver the most. And I was speaking this week, and still tonight, more to come. And one of the questions that was asked was on faith. And this young person said, for for a a, a new emerging leader, what would you want to have prayer for? And this guy said, I'd like to have more faith. And I said, that's a great thing. We should pray. You should have more faith. However, faith doesn't necessarily come merely by praying. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you have a wavering faith, it's because we're having a wavering time in God's word an intimacy with the Lord, reading it with the intention of allowing it to abide within us and us in it. So faith can come and it comes by trusting in the Lord. All right, let's go over now money and uh, let's talk about it from the book of Proverbs. Most of the rest will come now from from Proverbs. 
I'm going to give you three mountain peaks. Uh, each one of these could be a standalone message. I would encourage you with your family to do a scripture search. Those of you that are new into the faith, this is exciting for you because for the first time you're going to hear accurately from the Bible what the Bible has to say about money, not what some televangelist might tell you and how that you need to get health and wealth and give more and all that. So let's look at it here. Money, I secure it by, and I'm keeping it simple for you, I secure it by working for it. We have to work for it. How many of you have had to work for the money that you have? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are still working for the money you have? Amen for that. And I'm not going to ask you retired people because some of you are probably saying, I need to get another job because I need a little bit more. So I need to work for it. Therefore, in your margin somewhere, ask yourself this question. Am I, as a parent or a grandparent, teaching my children a work ethic? And you teach them simply two ways. You model it by letting them know the value of work, the joy that there is in work, the contribution you make to society and the way you provide for your family and you help build a kingdom. So you model it. The second way you do it, you mentor them by teaching them. You could call it mentioning it to them. You could call messaging the kids with these truths. Let them learn that. But don't do it in a beat down way to the kids. You got to work, work, work. Work can be exciting. It is very fulfilling. Those of us that are in the ministry here, we will tell you that we work far more hours than some guy on a line that might be working at, at putting in, assembling cars 40 hours a week. But I will tell you, nobody would be more fulfilled. You've heard me often say, Carol and I probably have never worked harder in a church as shepherds as we have here in this church amongst all of you. But we have never, never in any ministry, national or otherwise, ever been more fulfilled full of joy, a sense of God's presence than in this ministry right here. So working is good. Let's look at the verse here. It says this, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. It doesn't mean you can't talk. The emphasis isn't on the chatter. The emphasis is on the idle chatter. Wasting time, not staying productive, not getting the job done. There is a stay on task mentality that's necessary. So helping your children know to work. And again, this is a whole standalone message on that one point. I don't have time to unpack it. I will tell you this. We have done a seminar here at this church called Teaching Your Children How to Handle Their Money. It comes with outline notes. It comes with CDs. Get that if it'll help you. I'm not selling stuff. I just want you to have it to help you work with your kids on the work ethic. Look at Proverbs 10.4. It says this. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. When I think of a slack hand, I think of some of you rough and tough and hard to diaper guys in construction, whether it's a hammer, a screwdriver, something you've got to do and you've got to move with your hand. But if you had to hold that tool with a slack hand, that tool will fall out of your hand and you will not be productive. So when you think of a slack hand, you think of a lazy person, someone who is not focused, not giving its 110% for the job that he has. And you will become poor. But the hand of the diligent, the hard worker, they'll become rich. So yes, you have to have a work ethic. And um, let me back off now a little bit. Some of you are without a job right now. And I don't want you to go home and think your pastor doesn't love you. And that God is mad at you. No, I don't know all the reasons you don't ha have your job right now. I do know that God knows all the reasons. And he loves you more than any human or I could ever love you. But my point is simply this. You have to want to work. Some people are spending a life not working because they're wanting a career. And maybe what God says first, just get a job. Just get a job. And that career will then come out of that job. All right, secondly is moral values. We have to have moral values. I think you know that. Most of you know now that um, 
as I teach some of these seminars yesterday morning, and you heard me say this, that when you're employed, Harvard University has come out with a brand new study. It's just a couple of years old. And they said for every one person who was terminated because of lack of competence on their job, two of them were released because they could not get along with fellow employees or with their superiors above them. And generally it was because they told lies, they growled, they had anger, they were lazy, they backbite, they gossiped, they stole. They had character issues, not competent issues. And so moral values is very important to have in order to secure the income necessary. Look at Proverbs 13, 11, and it says, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. Not maybe, it will be. So whether you steal it, you spin on it, if it's done dishonestly, you will lose it. But he who gathers by labor will increase. And you could circle the word labor because it goes back to the work ethic. There is involvement in work. Just as we spoke a moment ago that some of you might be without employment and we love you and we'll be here to help you because that can happen to any one of us and you need to search your heart before God, all that. I also want you to know that there's an overextension of a strength. I'm a good worker. I'm a hard worker. I'm a diligent worker. An overextension of that becomes a weakness because an overextension of a strong work ethic is workaholism. It's where that the husband hardly ever comes home, the wife hardly ever comes home. They're, when they are at home, they're really not, their body's at home, but their mind is still at work. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.